0: Would you pray with me, please? Father, I ask I ask that you would speak to our hearts today that you would uh, make me immaterial to that process but that your Holy Spirit would speak and give us uh, the words that you want us to hear and as Tracy prayed earlier that you would enable our hearts to be open. Help us individually to decide that we'll hear the best we can today and be receptive and willing to obey. Amen. Genesis 4. Adam lay with his wife Eve and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, but Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you're under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Now, the passage of Scripture I just read tells the story of the first murder. Can you believe that it happened so quickly in human history? It happened with the third and fourth people born on this planet. It happened with the second generation of mankind. The two sons of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, had conflict over the offerings that they had presented to God. Abel presented a good and pleasing offering to God, but Cain chose an offering that saved the best parts of his sacrifice for himself. And this displeased God. Instead of confronting his own sin and getting right with God, Cain fronted his brother Abel and killed him. Where does the conflict in your life and mine come from? Why do people have so many troubles with each other? Why do people argue and fuss and fight so often? James 4 is going to answer this question as we continue our study of James. James also helps us to understand what can we do about conflict? How can we resolve this? How can we keep this from happening? So we're going to go to James 4. We're going to do verses 1 through 10. But for right now, let's just read the first three verses of James chapter four. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Where does conflict usually come from? Well, it comes from in here. It comes from our desires, from our selfish, ungodly desires. Conflict stems from our selfish wants and cravings. And many people in this world, including us sometimes, live in such a way that our lives are basically saying, I want what I want, and I want it now. Please say that with me for a minute. Just so you can hear yourself say it. We we don't usually say it. But say it. I want what I want, and I want it now. Now say it one more time. But say it with the most whiny, pathetic voice you possibly can. I want what I want, and I want it now. <laughs> you didn't know you're going to be part of the message today, did you? I want you to quit acting like babies, would you? Now we understand when babies act like this. I mean, it, it's natural; it's normal. They're they're only concerned about their own needs. As far as they're concerned, everything in the world revolves around them. They know nothing else but what I need, what I want, and they get away with this behavior, don't they? Why? Because they're so cute. They're so cuddly. You know, there's other times when they're just smiling at you and cooing and, you know, just so much fun to interact with that we forget those other times when they were just a miserable thing to be around. And besides, they don't know any better. But we give them a lot of allowances. We make allowances for their self-centeredness. We put up with their demands. Usually we try and give them everything they need and a bunch of stuff that they want. Because what else are you going to do for a baby? Well, I found this other preacher, Stephen Burr, that, that, that had found this government report about babies. And it was so interesting to read. Because this report came out about the crime rate in their state, which was Minnesota. And so this report comes out, and it's quite startling. Listen to what the report said. Every baby starts life as a little savage. (laughs) This is government report. He is completely selfish and self-centered. He wants what he wants when he wants it. His bottle, his mother's attention, his playmate's toy, his uncle's watch. Deny him these wants and he sees with rage and aggressiveness, which would be murderous were he not so helpless. He's dirty. He has no morals, no knowledge, no skills, And that means that all children, not just certain children, are born delinquent. (laughs) If permitted to continue in the self-centered world of his infancy, given free reign to his impulsive actions to satisfy his wants, every child would grow up a criminal, a thief, a killer, or a rapist. And I read that and I thought, how did a government report ever come out that was so politically incorrect? I mean, you wouldn't get away with that today well, this report was produced in 1926. <laughs> There's the answer. And in that time frame, in the state of Minnesota, they had this big, growing crime problem, and they were looking for, why is this? And even from a very human standpoint, a political standpoint, they were able to deduce it's, it's everybody's acting like babies. They're acting like babies. And if you don't check this, if you don't stop this, If this keeps growing in them, this self-centeredness throughout their lifetime, by the time they're big enough to act on it, they're a criminal. And these little savages or delinquents become full-blown criminals. Now, please notice this was not a report produced by the church about sinners. This was a government report written to describe every person born in America, especially in Minnesota. Apparently, they're much worse up there. Actually, it was a conclusion of the human condition. This is the condition of every one of us that we were born as this child and we had this fleshly nature and when, if we were allowed to, to grow up without God's influence, without God's grace in our life, this is where we would be and we would still be acting like babies today, just not so cute or cuddly anymore. This is where conflicts come from. Conflicts come from the selfish, fleshly, ungodly desires that rage inside us. We want what we want, and we want it now. When we covet what someone else has, we may become willing to, to quarrel and fight for it. We may even be like Cain, willing to kill for it, because the desire to have what we want becomes so strong, so possessing of our spirits. Now, we see examples of this all the time. I, I wanted to share something kind of funny, Cole funny that happened to me just recently, and it was really a reminder of what happened previously. Um, I want to think about our self-centeredness for just a minute, and how how much life revolves around us, even if we're adults sometimes, if we let that happen. Two weeks ago, I had an occasion uh, to do a, 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 re- a wedding renewal of vows in here. This couple came, they have been married for nine years, they wanted to have a renewal service, just have a few family members and everything, showed up at the right time to do that. And they're waiting and waiting for her brother to show up. And everybody's kind of talking about this guy, you know, as he's, you know, just all into himself. He never shows up on time. And he's not going to show up dressed nice like everybody else is. And I'm hearing all this stuff about him while we're waiting and waiting and waiting for him to come. Finally, he comes in with his girlfriend, sits down, a guy in his 40s probably. And he's not happy to be here, but he had to come because it was his sister's thing. And, you know, the whole... Attitude is this persona around him. So we go into the ceremony, and I'm talking about different things. I'm talking about marriage and what a wonderful marriage they had, and what it was going to become, and the love that God has for us. First Corinthians thirteen, talking about sacrifice and selflessness, and and all this, you know, that love. If you love this way, then both of you are going to win. Both of you are going to benefit because God's created a perfect union here in marriage. Then we go into this description. We have the ceremony. And then we finish. Everybody's starting to leave. His girlfriend comes up to me and she says, that was really neat. I'd love to hear what you said about marriage today. That is right. He's standing beside her and he's rolling his eyes. Oh boy. You filled her head with a bunch of stuff. I don't know what he's imagining he's saying. And what he said to me was, he said, I wasn't really listening. I've already been married three times. And I'm like... Really? <laughs> you know, I—I I did. You just hear what you said? Did you just hear that you don't want to hear about marriage because you've already had a bunch of marriage? And uh, maybe the common denominator in your three marriages was you. <laughs> you know, that's—that's that's what I want to say. But preachers don't say things like that. We just think of. Them. <laughs> right, How many other preachers out here? Those thoughts go through our minds too. Well, anyhow. It reminded me what happened a few years ago. I was getting ready to do this couple call. They wanted to do a ceremony, and they asked me to do it. And I said, okay, well, that's great. I'd love to do it, but I hope we got enough time here. There's two or three months here because we need to meet. You're going to have a book I want you to read. We're going to meet at least three times for premarital counseling. And the girl's all happy about that. She's the one making the call, of course. She calls me back later. She says, we won't come. We will come to counseling. I said, why? She said, "Well, He said, I've already been married three times. What do I need counseling for? So I run into this a couple of times. These are just illustrations that we could go into hundreds of these where people who are grown that are supposed to have learned some things and, and, and learned about sensitivity, learned about selflessness, learned about uh, you know, other people and their needs still don't get it. And still acting. This is where conflict comes. Fights and quarrels come from our selfish, out of control control desires. And James goes on in the second half of verse 2. He says, you do not have because you do not ask God. In other words, you don't ask for God to even be involved. You don't ask for his help. You don't ask for his provision. You may demand it. You may expect it. You may think you deserve it. But really, you're not even bringing God into the picture. You know, it's all about me. It's all about what I want. Because I'm God in my life, basically. And James says, you act like that, you're not going to get what you'd like to have and when you do ask if you do ask then you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives your whole idea he says is to spend what you get on your pleasures and so this is the the problem this is the, the occasion of this part of his letter that the reason we have conflicts the reason we can't get along with each other is because we have these desires that are constantly trying to come out and they rule our lives and create clashes with other people we are thinking only of ourselves, often missing entirely what God wants or what might benefit someone else. So why do we fight? Why do we quarrel? Because we have allowed these selfish desires to rule our lives and our relationships. So what does this do about our relationship with God? How does this kind of self-centeredness, this selfishness, affect our relationship with God? Where do our sinful, selfish desires leave us with God? Go on, with James 4, 4 through 6. You adulterous people, James says, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God or hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies uh, intensely, but he gives us more grace? That is why uh, Scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble or favor to the humble. What happens with these selfish desires their are longing to come and be expressed and we're just living by our selfishness and self-centeredness is that it ends up turning us into the enemies of God. Now we may not openly think I'm being an enemy of God. Hey, I'm going to fight God because you know most people don't win when they fight God. A friend of the world, however, is an enemy of God. Most of us know that fighting with God is not wise. But we've chosen to be friends with the world. And that, by necessity, automatically makes us an enemy of God, at enmity with God. Now, we need to understand something here. That the world is the Bible's way of describing the ungodly, wicked, evil, otherwise foolish ways of people who do not not do not know God. Who do not live for God. This is a like a, a key word the world. Now, God doesn't hate the world. We know that's that's true, that God loves the world. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world. Okay, But he doesn't love the world when it's like this, when it's this choice to rebel against God and to live for self. So God's word is saying, be very careful here. Don't live like the people around you who do not know God, because friendship with the world is hatred toward God. You can't have it both ways. Now this really shouldn't surprise us. Remember Jesus saying in Matthew six twenty four, he says, You cannot serve both God and money. You've got to make a choice. You can't serve God and serve this worldly way of living. It's the same idea. Well, first John two, fifteen to seventeen says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. See, this is how the world is. The world and its desires pass away, John says, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. 1 John 2, 15-17. That's a great passage for you to know. Because it says the same thing. You choose God or you choose the world. You can't have both. And we know that we need to stop being double-minded. We need to show that we are truly devoted to Christ. And if we belong to God truly, then we will stop belonging to the world. And in order to get our attention, James throws out a big word, the A word, adultery, doesn't he? He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Wow ever thought of yourself as an adulterer before? Uh, That's not something I, you know, I don't want to go there. I I don't want to consider that possibility ever. But James says, spiritually, you are an adulterer if you choose friendship with the world. James says that if we treat God so badly by thinking of ourselves and what we want, then we have left the relationship, the marriage. Look at the wonderful bridegroom the church has, Jesus Christ. Look at this bridegroom who described in Ephesians 5 as someone who gave his life. He so loved his wife that he gave his life for her to cleanse her and create a people that could serve him. Look how he's loved us and taken care of us. Look how he has died for us. And then how do we respond, James says, We go out there and we have one affair after another with these false gods and goddesses, with these idols, with the things of this world. We say we belong to Christ, and yet we live as an adulterer, an adulteress, because we are chasing after these false gods and goddesses. James says that God's jealous. He's a jealous husband. He's jealous of the spirit that he caused to live in us. In other words, God longs for the fellowship with the Spirit that He gave us. He created us. He's not talking about the Holy Spirit here. He's talking about your soul, who you are spiritually, who you are eternally. And God longs for a relationship with each one of us. And He wants to be our husband. He wants to be our bridegroom. He wants a relationship to be so deep and so profound and so intimate that it's like a husband and wife relationship best you've ever seen. But when we choose to be friends with the world, we are violating that relationship. And God is jealously protecting that relationship. Thankfully, God gives us his grace. God gives us time to grow up, time to figure it out. He gives us the opportunity in Jesus to let our hearts be changed so that we can learn to love him the way he loves us. God doesn't want us to remain his enemies. He wants us to become his friends. He wants us to become his children. Where does conflict come from then? From our foolish, self-centered, evil desires. What does it do to our relationship with God? What does this selfishness do about our relationship with him? Well, it's pretty disturbing. Breaks it up. Makes it impossible to go on. What can we do about it? That's what James says in these last few verses. James 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. You notice those verbs... In these few verses, submit, resist, flee, come near, wash, purify. Powerful words. If we want to overcome the selfish desires that rage inside of us, that rule our lives, we must follow the plan that James and the Spirit of God gives us here in these verses. First, we must submit to God. Submit, surrender. We have to give up trying to live life our way and start living it his way. Let him be in charge of our lives. Let his word be our guide to how we should conduct ourselves in everyday life. Submit our time, our talents, our abilities, our finances, our possessions, our goals and dreams, everything to God. Submit it all to God. There's where you begin. Secondly, we've got to resist the devil because he wants to be God in our life. If we don't submit to God, then we're falling in line with the rest of the world. So we have to resist this temptation. We have to resist this nature that we were born with and by the power of God overcome that. Resisting is going to take some effort. It's not a passive thing, but an active thing. And we are being tempted every day by the devil who wants to drag us away from God. And so we have to dig our feet in and resist that pull. Resist the devil. He even says, flee. You know, If you resist, he runs away. <laughs> if you say no, then he gives up and comes back maybe a later time. But the resistance has to occur. So you submit to God, you resist the devil. And then you draw near to God, James says. The closer we are to him, the more clearly we'll understand. If we're far from him, his voice becomes almost inaudible. You know, if we're out there just living on our own, doing our own thing, not listening to God... How are you ever going to hear what God has to say? How are you going to hear the guidance and the wisdom he wants to offer you? But if we draw near to God, he will draw near to us. and He will teach us how to live. He will, in fact, lift us up. And you'll be amazed at what he does in your life. Then James says, very practically, wash your hands. Physically speaking, what's the best way to avoid getting sick? Best thing you can do is wash your hands. Keep washing your hands. Teachers have to keep doing that. Medical workers have to keep doing it. Parents telling their children to do that. You go into a restaurant, you go into the hospital, and there are places there and signs up saying, wash your hands, keep washing your hands. Why? Because there are germs everywhere. And if you keep washing properly, those germs are are going to have a tougher time getting into your body and making you sick. And we need to do the same thing then spiritually, James is saying. Get rid of the little things that infect us with this worldly life. Wash them away with the help of God. You may have to ask Him to show you those specific areas where the germs are in your life. You're just, I'm just going to dabble with this. I'm just going to try a little bit of this. And you you let them move in. You let them become part of your life. And then you wonder why you're so spiritually sick. Wash your hands. Physically deal with the stuff that spiritually is tearing you down. And then he said, purify your hearts. This is what happens internally. Happens internally by the cleansing from the Holy Spirit. Yield to the Holy Spirit. Get your desires right where they need to be. Our desire must be for God and for what God wants, not what we want. And our hearts must be changed from the place where we used to say, I want what I want, and I want it. And I want it now of a place where we say, I want what God wants. And the timing is his business. (laughs) I'm not going to tell him now, but I definitely want what God wants. You know, there's a tribe in Africa which elects a new king every seven years. Now, that's not so unusual in America. We elect a new president every four years. So a seven-year term sounds like a very long time. But what is so unusual about this African nation is that when the new king is elected, the previous king is killed. Each new king is given absolute power. And for the seven years of his reign, he can choose to do whatever he wants. He can fulfill every personal pleasure he ever thought about fulfilling. Meanwhile, he's showered with gifts and honors and given every possession known in their country. But at the end, he's put to death. How many people do you think apply for this job? I wouldn't think very many, but they always have enough. They always have many people that say, I want to do that for seven years. I don't care what's at the end of it. Look what I get to do for seven years. How nearsighted, how short-sighted, how worldly, how worldly. Humankind seems to desire pleasure above everything else, even if it is but for a season even if it means pain for eternity. Now, what about us? Do we live for whatever we can selfishly get out of life, or do we want what God wants? Because, you see, being a Christian is not a hat we wear and then take off when it's convenient or uncomfortable. It's not going to church or Bible study or choir practice. It's not a fake ID that we show at the pearly gates of heaven. It's not even a get-out-of-hell-free card. Being a Christian is a full-time life commitment to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus. And it's being totally surrendered to God as the Lord of our lives. Tommy Wilson, once a star pupil in Mrs. Jones' fourth grade Sunday school class, became a neo-Nazi motorcycle gang leader who was killed in a gang war in Chicago a few years ago. Joseph Stoll, Some of you have known him with Moody Bible Institute, had been Tommy's preacher back then. And a few days after the story of Tommy's death hit the news, Tommy's Sunday school teacher called Pastor Stoll to make sure that he had heard about Tommy's death. And she said, Tommy was my star pupil in my Sunday school class. He never missed a Sunday. He had all the stars filled on the wall chart because he always brought his Bible with him. He always had his memory work done. He always brought an offering. on all the things that were part of the Sunday school experience. But at some point, the ways of the world got too strong a grip in Tommy's life. And tragedy resulted. Insisting that he knew what was best for his life, Tommy continued to go his own way and rebuild against God. it was only later, much later, that he realized the selfish path he had chosen was the path to hell. Now, if we today think that we know better than God how to live our lives, we need to listen carefully to what the Word of God says to us this morning. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you come near to God and he will come near to you. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you are our God. That you know everything about us. You know what is best for us. And you have a perfect plan for our lives. As we bow before you today, we must admit confess to you that many times we have chosen our own way. We've said, I want what I want and I want it now. But God, we recognize in this moment that what we truly want is whatever you want. Help us now to humble ourselves before you. Help us even to grieve and mourn and wail, as James says, if that is what is needed for us to have a true and godly sorrow for us to truly repent help us not to gloss over this make a quick decision now and then go about our business and live just like we did yesterday but help us Lord to surrender fully to you to submit and to resist the devil to wash our hands, to purify our hearts to come near to you so that you can come near to us bless us even as we do that now. In Jesus' name.